You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Trance, senior editor at American Theater Magazine. And I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that on this episode, we're going from Mexico to Broadway. Woo-hoo. Well, not literally. That would be nice. I wish, yeah. I know, but I feel like considering this administration, if we go out of the country, we won't be let back in. Nope. But it's thematically because of our amazing guests. Who did we talk to? We have Broadway telenovela, film, and TV series star Mauricio Martinez, who talked to us about his upcoming show at Feinstein's 54 Below, and we'll get to the interview later in the episode. But first off, we're only reviewing one show today because I went on vacation last week and I did not see any shows, unless you count the show I was a part of, which was a wedding, which really, isn't it just one big performance? It is. Isn't and you were playing a character, Elbert, and looking fabulous <laughs> while doing it. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you you should because I wore a pink suit to that wedding. She's running for office, and I'm also right. Yes, and I'll also be Elizabeth Warren's running mate when I will take those calls now, Liz. And then you'll take over and become president. <laughs> No, I don't have a plan for everything. I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm not that good at my job. Uh, so first up, let's talk about Douglas, the newest show by Hannah Gatsby, who, if you don't know, she's this Peabody winning and Emmy nominated comedian whose show Nanette was on Netflix. And you should watch that first and then come back and listen to the segment. Because Douglas is a follow-up to Nanette, and it's and it's named after Hannah's dog, and it's also named after the pouch of Douglas, which is a part of the female body that I, as a female, did not know I had. And apparently, and it's called the pouch of Douglas because a dude named Douglas, quote-unquote, discovered it, and he put his name on it. And this is part of Hannah's set, which is dudes just love to put their names on things. Like, did you know, Jose, that fallopian tubes are also named after a man? Hannah Gatsby taught me about it. (laughs) We learned so much. Anyway, yeah. And it's about how, you know, men... The show is basically about how men make the standards for, for how we view the world. And when we don't meet those standards, it's because they were too high to begin with and they don't encompass all of our humanity. And also about how Hannah has, now has autism. And also there's there's a Louis C.K. joke at the end, which I did see coming because Hannah told us it was coming but it was still really funny because she did it in a really creative way that that you can't predict i had so much fun i had fun also it was a really wonderful show is it gonna be i'm sure it's gonna be on netflix at some point right it's gonna be streamed somewhere yeah it's gonna be on netflix next year okay because she's doing a worldwide tour right now but it's in new york until september 7th did you see uh annette on stage also no i didn't see it on stage. Did, did, did you see it on stage yes how was it it was incredible but douglas was almost two hours long right mm. and i remember nanette being also almost two hours long so i wonder 
what Netflix chooses to cut and what you know how they end up making those decisions because when I saw it, Nanette was certainly much longer than it was on Netflix. It's still like mm. really wonderful. Yeah, but there's a lot because it's she kind of does like really long TED talks. <laughs> But they're so engaging that they don't need mm-hmm. to be like 10 minutes or half an hour. She just keeps you like, you know, uh, even for us sitting in a show that's almost two hours long with no intermission, it felt like I was there for five minutes. Like it was started, it was over. And I was like, holy fuck, this was really incredible. And she talks about this during her set. But do you think it is comedy or it's like, or it's like expanding what comedy is or is it something else? I think something beautiful that... Uh, that I thought about when I was... Let me rephrase that. I think a beautiful conclusion that Hannah comes up with during the show, and also by default, I think most audience members, if they're listening and paying attention to what she's saying, also figure that on their own, that it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's comedy. It doesn't matter if it's a TED Talk. It doesn't matter if it's performance art. What matters is what she's doing with the form. One of the things that I admire the most about it, and it made me think about... Do we mention Heidi Shrek in every episode we yes, do? Yes, we do. Well, this is our... Hi- we should do like a Heidi Shrek drinking game. <laughs> so anyway, one of the things she does at the beginning of the show made me think about Heidi Shrek and what the Constitution means to me. And it's that Douglas... I'm sure that if we got a script for Douglas, it's Which probably... Yeah, but it's probably so structured and mm-hmm. she makes it feel so freeform on mm-hmm. that stage that it's almost like magic. And I'm using this word on purpose because one of the very first things she does in the performance is tell us what's going to happen. Exactly. She describes what's going to happen and it does happen. And she tells us, and you're still going to laugh and you're still going to be surprised. And we still laugh and we're still surprised. Mm-hmm. And what she's able to do with structure. And not only to turn it, you know, upside down and like break it down, but somehow also make it feel unstructured as a work of genius. Like, you know, like you've been to magic shows where the magician mm-hmm. explains how the trick worked and it's still like, you're still like, wow, how did you do, do, do that? that? Yeah. yeah. And that was Douglas for me. And one of the fascinating things, because I talked to Hannah, actually, after I saw the show and the interview, you, you can read on AmericanTheater.org. Shameless plug. But I was asking her, like, how do you write this? Like, do you write it like a play? And she said, no, it's not like a play because I'm not acting. And and I think I wonder if it's also like a byproduct of like just how her mind naturally works as someone who is on the spectrum and it doesn't work in a structured way. It works. She says her mind works in a very visual way. And so in seeing the show, we're basically, it's kind of like we're experiencing how she looks at the world and she's helping us make these connections that we didn't notice before. Like I didn't realize that all of and you and Jose, you've talked about this. Like most of the standards for art and beauty is created by men. And if you're going to put yourself up to a standard that wasn't created, but that was created by other people, you're never going to measure up to it. And specifically straight white men, which is also something that she talks about. She doesn't just talk about men. She talks specifically about white men mm-hmm. who are the ones who not only exclude women, but everyone who doesn't fit the form they want. They exclude people from other races, men and women, 
and queer people. So it's not just men. I mean, I'm not team men because we suck. But she makes it very clear that she's talking about white men and mm-hmm. specifically straight white men. Yeah. And and what I find fascinating about thinking about Hannah's work is is like thinking outside of Hannah's work to how Hannah's work is being perceived by the male critical establishment and by journalists who are like, what is, what what is it that she's doing? What is it comedy? Is it something else? We need to define the thing. And that's such a heteronormative way of looking at things, of thinking, oh, they're doing, I, I don't know what they're doing, and I must know what it is. Yeah. And I think Hannah calls all of us out on that for trying to categorize her in any particular way. Yeah, I was just dying, watching her perform, I was dying to have her become a theater critic, because critics need that perspective. You know, I am sick and tired of reading reviews where people because they don't understand the form or because the form doesn't adjust to parameters that the Greeks started. Um, they don't like it. And they don't, mm-hmm. they're they like, where's my catharsis? And where's my this and that? And I'm like, fuck catharsis. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. So I'm trademarking <laughs> that right now. We don't need that. Like, we don't need that. Like, why are we following along the rules that white men established for us thousands of years ago? Like, why don't we go out and break down all the rules and burn the system and before I get arrested for anarchy or whatever I'm talking about art specifically and criticism and the way that we perceive art and I would you know I love it I I would love for instance if the critical response to Douglas I haven't read any reviews of it Mm. but I would love if the critical response was in the shape of a song or in the Mm -hmm. shape of like a a crayon statue like the one she showed of her dog it's time that we break those molds I think and I'm so happy that she's out in the world courageously doing that because she gets a lot of hate and like she Mm -hmm. talks about hate mail and how men come up to her and are like well, let me tell you why you're wrong, even if I have no clue of who you are. Yeah, because you didn't live up to my expectations of what it is that you should be doing. Which, it was interesting, because I did read one, only because it was making its way around the internet. I did read Hilton Alza's review in The New Yorker, where the consensus, where it seemed like he was coming in expecting her to do something, and then she didn't do the thing, and that made him very unhappy. Men. Which is which is so interesting, because like it made me think, like, what... What's the st- what are the standards of what we denote as good or bad? Because I think we, you and I, talk a lot about about shows that we don't like, and sometimes for me, I talk about it in terms of like it didn't do these form formalistic things, but maybe it's like deeper than that. I mean, it's maybe. embedded in you. It's not your fault. No, it's not even that. Like it's it's an easy way to it's an easy thing to plug it into. Like it didn't do the formal stuff, but maybe it's because it's easier to talk about the formal stuff and harder to talk about like how this didn't impact me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And because the thing is, I love Douglas, but it, and it didn't do any of those little formal Aristotelian dramatic things. But it still resonated on an emotional level. And I feel like maybe as critics, when we talk about things failing artistically, it's not so much it failed because it didn't do these five things it's supposed to do. It just we didn't like it as a human being. Fuck Aristotle. Also. All right then. <laughs> Fuck all the Greeks. <laughs> no, because it's, you know, it's that thing where, and I'm also seeing that in, I think in every aspect of criticism in all the fields that I can think of where 
we're talking about art, and if something doesn't fit the parameters that, again, all these white people established, then they get trashed. The problem with that is that as long as the mainstream remains so white and so male, and even the white women who, who review art are as narrow-minded as the men, and as long as they are the people who keep processing and digesting the work for the rest of us then works like Douglas, you know, like if Hannah Gatsby wasn't Hannah Gatsby and this was a show happening in some tiny dive bar somewhere in Williamsburg or whatever, we wouldn't know about it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the thing. We're like uh, watching Douglas just made me think about all the art that's going on all over the world that we don't know of because someone decided that it wasn't art. And that's interesting because, like, Hannah also talked about how the only, like, the main reason she made Douglas was because she got famous. And then that brought its, brought its own set of problems, which then, then inspired Douglas. So if we didn't have Nanette, we wouldn't have Douglas. Well, I can't wait to see what Douglas gives birth to. I know, right? Did you want to talk about the, the phone? I mean, the light. The what? The light. Oh, oh the light. Okay. So... W- so, Jose, you were telling me the story before we started recording about how during the during the show, there was a red light coming from the audience and Hannah had to stop the show and be like, what is that? And she kind of forgot where she was in it. Yeah. What's important is to give context for this because when you enter, and this isn't something that I had seen in any of the publicist emails. Did, did they tell you about this? And the I haven't phone thing? Yeah, and I haven't seen it anywhere. So when you're entering Douglas, you're given these pouches, this magnetic lock pouches, where you're asked to put your phone in and anything that has light. Mm-hmm. So I put my Apple Watch and my iPhone in there. You're welcome, Tim Cook, for the free publicity. And I well, put it's also it- common in comedy shows to put your stuff in the pouch. Is it be- and I thought, yeah, be- because they don't want it to record. They don't want yeah. people to record, right? Yeah. yeah, and to like spoil the jokes. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting, and I loved it because I love not having my phone with me because I think my phone's a menace. <laughs> and, I, and I like, you know, like when I go to the theater, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to like – no emergency – big or small that happens while I'm in a show is going to, you know, I can't do anything. So I love when they make us leave our devices away because so many people have such a hard problem doing it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we put our stuff in a pouch and then we carry the pouch. And I thought that also, like, they don't want us to record the show. They don't want us to give away the set. They don't want us to spoil anything, right? However, once we learn in the show that Hannah is on the spectrum it becomes even clearer. And she was making us responsible for creating a safe environment, not only for us, because it's mm-hmm. really distracting and horrible when someone pulls out their phone during a performance because the light's awful. And not to mention when the, the alarms go off or like pe- people's phones that start yeah, ringing. Yeah. But also because since she's uh, on a spectrum, light is something that she's very sensitive to. I was sitting behind an elderly white woman who was having problems with her hearing device. And the hearing device had a tiny red light. But, you know, when when I say tiny, I can't even describe how tiny it was. But it was very, very small. Since I was sitting behind her, 
she kept distracting me the entire time because she kept dropping her device and she was like playing with it and she kept dropping it and dropping it and dropping it and I was like 10 rows from the stage and yes at one point Hannah stopped the show because she said what is that red light over there and knowing by then what she had told us about how she's easily like overstimulated by the world and sounds and lights I wanted to strangle this person who did not care what the performer had asked of her mm-hmm. specifically and she was just playing with her device I mean was she playing with it or was she trying to get to work she kept like grabbing it and like it fell and then she pulled it and then it kept falling and then she was like putting it like you know like she. I don't think she knew what she wanted to do with it it seemed to be working because her uh, her ear, you know, the ear the ear part was plugged to the thing, but she was just messing around with the box. Oh, 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 oh! It was like a blue. It, it was like it was like a box and the headset. Yes. Okay, and she was just like messing around with the box. Yes. Fiddling with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not nice. It's not nice. No. So anyway, which is which is so far to say, if the performer asks you to do something, people, please respect, respect the performer and do it. Like please it may do. not seem like a big idea to you, but we're all in a space together. We need to respect each other's boundaries and needs. Yes. Anyway, thank you for nothing, audience member, and thank you, Hannah, for doing this for us. I'm being so patient. I know. I mean, and 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 like it, it was only like a five second pause. Like she got back into it really quickly. Yeah, but it, it was so tiny that I was like, mm-hmm. I was so, I can't even imagine what Times Square does to her. Oh my god! The thing is, she likes New York. Weirdly enough, go Hannah. Yeah, we like having you here. <laughs> Move here. Be our friend. So, if you're interested in seeing Douglas, it is playing all around the world, but it's playing at the Daryl Roth Theater in New York until September 7th, and otherwise, it'll be on Netflix next year, so, you know, you'll wait next year, and then hopefully you'll re-download this episode and listen to it. Anyway, uh, do you want to intro our interview? I uh, sure. Hmm... We went to an office at Fine Science 54 below to talk to Mauricio Martinez. If you happen to see On Your Feet on Broadway, he at one point was playing Emilio Stefan. He then took On Your Feet on the road and traveled all across the country. Uh, Mauricio is also in a show called El Vato. And if you're a big telenovela fan, you probably remember him from uh, La Mujer del Vendaval, which is a soap from, I think it was 2012. He was also in Operación Triunfo. He's a successful recording artist and stage, film, and television actor. And rather than just listening to me talk about him, why don't we just hear what he had to say about his work, about being a Latinx artist, about loving composers of Latinx uh, heritage, and how he ended up becoming an activist without planning to. Yeah, like anyone who's of Mexican descent these days. Yeah. Oh, fun times we live in, right? <sighs> Mauricio Martinez, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, you for having me. I'm I'm good. I'm uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's been an interesting couple of days in in America, being an immigrant and being Mexican. But 
I'm good. I'm, I'm in high spirits today. Wonderful. You have an upcoming show at Five Science 54 Below, and can you tell us a little bit about what that show is about? You're honoring my country and the title <laughs> of my show. I love that. Viva You're Mexico. Me- Viva Mexico is true. Uh, and my show is titled The Mexico to Broadway. It's basically the story of my life uh, told through the music that I get to sing, uh, that I've gotten the privilege to sing in musicals that I've starred, literally, in Mexico and now on Broadway. You know, so it's... I do some Beauty and the Beast, Jesus Christ Superstar, The Last Five Years, On Your Feet. Basically, my whole resume in, <laughs> in less than 90 minutes. So you were just telling us before we rolled that yeah. we that you're going to be incorporating some activism, some political messaging within the show because of what's been happening yeah. in the past few days. I feel I was just at Barbara Streisand's concert. Um, she's my idol. I mean, she's definitely one of the artists that I admire the most. Um, through all my life, not only because of her artistry and her talent, but how outspoken she is on, mm, always mm-hmm. about very important subject matters, not only political, like yeah. heart, women's heart disease and stuff like that. And me, I'm, I'm, I'm resilient. You know, I, I, I'm a cancer survivor. I'm an immigrant. I'm Mexican, bilingual. Uh, so I have a lot to say. And um, what's going on right now is definitely affecting me and the way I see my life and my position in this country and i believe as artists if we have a microphone in front of us or a platform or social media or fans or followers or people that are um kind enough to follow us and see see our our shows our tv shows or buy our albums or go to our concerts we might as well deliver a message of hope of inspiration of something Leave them with something positive, I think, you know, and watching Barbara Streisand, she, she talked about politics. She talked about the president. She talked about what, um, her beliefs are. She used humor and her talent. Uh, some may agree, some may not, but I believe that as artists, we have that right, you know, to, to say what we feel in however way we can do it, you know? So I, I do it through song and through music and through acting. And through writing now, I've been writing a lot. So yes, I am incorporating some uh, artistic activism, shall I say, um, you know, with, with poetry, with song. I wrote a song that I, I want to sing in my concert that talks about bridges, not walls. Talks about inspiring, not dividing, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what I'm going to do. And it's very... Appropriate, I think. The, the show's called The Mexico to Broadway. I'm, I'm an import from Mexico. So I gotta prove to all of those who are saying bad things about my country, I gotta prove them wrong. Or, or prove my people right. You know, by setting the example. I believe in the power of, of art as a vehicle to, to inspire people to fight for their beliefs, their their rights, democracy. I can't vote in this country. I'm just getting mm-hmm. my green card. I, I'm, I'm a foreigner. I'm Congratulations on the green card. Thank though. you. It's a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. But now with all this, like, I'm, I'm torn. The other day I was, like, <laughs> in tears. I was like, do I want to stay in this country? Should mm-hmm. I go to England or Spain? Or, you know, Mexico is also going through a lot and mm-hmm. politically. And that it's, it's not a country that I want to be in right now. Uh, I've done a lot there. I'm from there. I was raised, born there, and lived there my whole life. And I've always dreamt of the American dream. But now that I have the American dream, 
I'm not really sure if I want it anymore. To be completely honest, I'm yeah. just like, I don't know. I don't have kids. I don't have a husband or a house that I'm paying the mortgage to. So I, I'm not attached to anything. I could pretty much grab my bags and be like, okay, I have family in Spain. <laughs> or I've never tried the West End. Or, you know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're shooting films in Canada. I don't know. I, I can work elsewhere. But I don't want to do that. I believe in New York. I love New York. I love um, L.A. I love Miami. I work there a lot. There's people that I love here. So I don't know. You know, I'm a citizen of the world. But our world needs to be a safe place. And yeah. if we, we go to shopping malls or to a, a grocery store or a movie theater or a nightclub and they're going to shoot us, I, I don't feel safe or welcome for many reasons. For being Mexican or being a white Mexican. For being mm-hmm. openly gay, for being like, there's so many flags that I have now that I go, wow, they're gonna shoot me for one of those reasons. I hope not. Or being outspoken, you know, like I have to be outspoken. Mm-hmm. I can't be. It would be. It would be. I wouldn't sleep at night knowing that I could have done something about it and I didn't do anything about it. You came out very openly in Mexico when I'm sure it didn't feel safe for you to do that. And you're also very active on Twitter where there's always a lot of people wanting to put you down. And so how do you stay positive and like focused on like who you are? Uh, You just got to know who you are. You got to look at yourself in the mirror and be okay with who you are and what you stand for, what you believe in. Um, You got to be surrounded by love. I call my mom on a daily basis and she puts my feet on the ground. (laughs) She's the typical mother that makes me do my bed and wash my dishes. Uh, when I go home, she's like, you're not, you're not a star here. You're not famous. You're not, you know, and I believe, I love that. I believe that. Um, so people that ground me, people that tell me the truth that can tell me, no, Mao, I think you're overreacting. No, Mao, come on. Or Mao, yes. Or like, you Mm -hmm. need that. I don't want people to just tell me what I want to hear. Like I want, honesty in my life you know just like my doctor who says that said nine years ago you have five tumors we gotta remove them or like my therapist that told me years ago i think you're falling into a depression or my immigration lawyer that said ah mm-hmm. you gotta pay thousands of dollars to stay here you know what i mean or my accountant that says mm-hmm. uh yes that's new york taxes for you they're gonna <laughs> take half of your paycheck or my manager that says, no, well, you didn't get the job. Like, you auditioned, you killed it, but you didn't get it. You know? I want mm-hmm. that, those types of relationships in my life. I don't want the, oh, you're so wonderful. Like, no, that's, <laughs> that's, I've done that. It's, you know, that, that was okay in my 20s and my 30s, but not, not in this age anymore. <laughs> you know? Uh, By adding another object of loss to your list. It used to be just your boyfriend or me, but recently I've learned you've got your pick of your boyfriend, me, or Rick. <laughs> the other, other woman. I'm not too happy in this room. The other, other woman. Part of the activism that Latinx artists are doing nowadays is, for instance, not only doing Broadway, but when they have the opportunity to do their own shows, like what you're doing, where you get to sing songs by composers like Jaime Lozano and Armando Manzanero. Yes. And I would just love for you to tell 
all the people out there who maybe are not familiar with this beautiful composers yeah. uh, of Latinx or, uh, you know... Uh, Mexican descent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's very timely right now. We live in a world where uh, technology um, it, it connects us so fast. So you're a click away to discover composers or artists from so many different countries and different languages, you know, and different races and different um, ways of thinking. That's fascinating to me. I represent my people. I represent Mexico. So I'm very proud to be a Mexican artist. Uh, so I, I promote my fellow Mexicans. Uh, Jaime Lozano is a, a man that believed in me from the get go. He wrote a show for me and he gave me the lead without even auditioning three years ago. And that show changed my life. It brought me back to New York at Children of Salt at the New York Musical Festival. And I came here to do it. And thanks to that, I got offered On Your Feet. And thanks to that, I got a work visa. And thanks to that, I made my Broadway debut. And thanks to that, like, it's just a chain of, um, mm -hmm. of, of very fortunate events that happened after Children of Salt. And we're family, you know, Jaime and I are, are basically family. He's my musical director. He wrote several of the songs that I'm, I'll be performing that night on Alpha 26 here at 54 Below. And uh, he's definitely a, a big talent that I believe in so much, you know. Um, he's he's amazing. We we connect in ways that I've I've never connected before, creatively speaking. He just gets me. He knows what type of arrangement I want, um, what tempo, what what key. He knows my range. He knows my voice. He knows my style. He knows how to follow me. Um, I'm crazy. He's crazy. So we're crazy <laughs> together, and that's beautiful. Um, so yeah, we just work. And people like Consuelo Velasquez, you know, who wrote uh, Besame Mucho, who's by far the most famous Mexican song in the mm -hmm. history of music. Yeah. Not so many I, people know who wrote that song. Yeah, That's Consuelo Velasquez, yeah. you know, and she's from Mexico. So I'm very proud to say this song comes from Mexico, you know. Um, and I talk about things that are Mexican that people don't have a clue that they're Mexican, like Caesar salad. For example, <laughs> people don't know that Caesar salad was invented by a Mexican chef. People think it's like from Greece or something like from <laughs> Italy or, you know, because it's Caesar. And like, no, it's mm -hmm. not from Rome. It's from Mexico, you know, yeah. things like that. Or people don't know that chimichangas are not really Mexican or that we don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo or stuff like that. That I, I try to just share information, not, uh, not trying to teach anybody a lesson or anything or. Be, being very respectful, but just sharing a little bit of what what we are and what we think, how we how we live life. You know, I think Mexico is so full of beautiful traditions. You saw it in Coco. You know, people fell in love with. They were like, "Wow, does that really happen?" Those orange um, flowers. I'm like, "Yeah, they're called simpasuchi," and they're like, uh, "Does it really exist?" Yeah, we put altars to our dead, and we bring their food, their favorite dishes, and we leave. Just like you guys put um, cookies for Santa Claus, you know? That's how we do it in Mexico. And it's a beautiful tradition that needs to be um, shared with the world, uh, I think. Especially now, because the men, men are creating so many divisions. Here is a country that is right next to the country where I'm from. And they want to put a wall. And they constantly remind people that they're going to build that wall and that 
that my country's going to pay for it. And I just go, my God, why not, why not build bridges? You know, why walls? Walls create division. And I recently posted something that went viral. I got, I, I got over, I think, 200,000 retweets. Like, just ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. not even about my work or about my life or about anything. I just posted a beautiful uh, video of the Mexican and U.S. border with the wall that already exists. It's a fence um, in New Mexico. And the Mexican side and the American side. And two architects uh, created, built a seesaw. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. And children from both sides were playing. It brought me tears. Um, just the image alone is, it's poetry. Um, how children are not aware of what a visa is, of what a passport is, of what different a nationality is. And they want just, all they want to do is play mm. and have fun. How can you not be moved by that? And, and projects of yours like La Mujer del Vendaval and El yeah. Vato, your characters are characters that are also musicians and they love music. Yeah. And I wonder if that's something that you look for in scripts. Like, you know, you obviously love music and yeah. you end up playing people who also love music. Well, it's not that I look for them, but they come to me, you know, because there's only so many actors that can sing, mm. um, you know, and, and transfer well to TV. You know, if you mm-hmm. come from the world of musical theater, it's a hard line to cross, or even to get across to casting directors sometimes, or directors who think you're over the top and they, they just think of musical theater as this planet where you're only singing and over the top. And I go, no, that's a specific type of musicals that you can do, but there's it's not the same to do, let's say, the Drowsy Chaperone, mm-hmm. which I did in Mexico. And it's, uh, it's, it's basically a satire. You know, you're making fun of musical comedy by being extremely over the top flamboyant and just like and then there's Jesus Christ Superstar you know which is a rock opera very raw very real very honest and there's no words no speak no spoken word whatsoever and then you have something like Beauty and the Beast you know which it, people would think oh it's a cartoon no it's not a cartoon you know it's 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 based on a, on a Disney animated film, but it's it's really a love story, and pe- these people are real, you know. Uh, so the the acting, it's all the same, but it just so happens that we have music. When you're transferred to to a straight play or a film or a TV project or a show, it's the same. A scene is a scene, whether there's mm-hmm. music or not. That's the difference, you know? But um, if we break into song, it's because it's a musical. But on TV and film, it's very rare. There's only one Glee, there's only one Smash, there, you know, there's hardly any roles like that mm-hmm. written. So with El Vato, what happened is that they needed an actor who who could act, but also who could play a singer, because I play a recording uh, artist, a very successful recording superstar. So there are scenes that I'm going to be singing, and they're, they're, you know, he, they need a very confident singer. So that's why they, they called me in to audition. And I didn't even know I was going to get the part, because the part asked for somebody more, let's say, grupero-looking, <laughs> which is not my type, if you're very mm-hmm. by the book. You know, I'm, I'm 
what Mexicans call a blonde Mexican. I'm a güerito, you know, because I'm, I'm light-skinned and I have green eyes and I don't play dark typically. But I think it's a beautiful thing that they cast me as that because it just proves that we've we've crossed that border of typecast. There is such a thing as people like me that come from Mexico and can sing that music, you know? But, uh, yeah, I found the roles. that Well, no, the roles find me. Um, and, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be able to venture into other um, areas of entertainment, such as film and TV, and still sing. Well, speaking of typecasting, because yeah. and I feel like in Mexico you you were able to play a wide variety of roles, yeah. like you were in Beauty, Beauty and Beast the last five years. And ha have you found that here it's a little the expectations are different for you as a performer? Well, yes and no, because we've reached a time, you know, thanks to pioneers in, in those subjects like Lin Manuel Miranda, what he did with Hamilton, and just I was reading the other day that there the two there's two new cast members of Dear Evan Hansen that are multi, that, mm -hmm. very diverse and uh, not specifically a white family. Um, so I love that. I, but I think America, is, the United States, is, is opening um, its eyes as to include more diversity in, in the roles. Um, in my specific case, I just played a Latin man who still exists and still breathing, and his name is Emilio Stefan, and mm -hmm. he has a thick accent, and I played him for two years, so I, I didn't want to be pigeonholed, so right. I, I've actually turned down Latin roles with thick oh. accent right now. I've said, no, I'm going to wait to play one that has neutral English, so <laughs> now you can see me how I speak, you know, I don't have to talk like this all the time, you know, I, I can, I can put it on and off. And I, I recently was almost cast, but I didn't make it because of my skin color to a TV show that they needed a Latino guy. And they called my manager and they said, we love him, but he's too white. So those things are still happening, you know? Wow. Uh, so we gotta, we gotta not teach them, but again, we gotta be like, well, there's, there's all colors of Latinos out there, you know? Um, <laughs> look at me. If you look at my mom, she looks Swedish, you know? She uh, she doesn't speak a word of English. Right. And she looks like she's from Germany or Sweden, mm -hmm. or, you know? Like, she's blonde, blue eyes, white. But she doesn't 
no a single word she probably knows yes and no in english that's basically it <laughs> yeah but it's there we're all colors you know i think mm -hmm. just like accents just like that as diverse as mexican food is you know uh, mm -hmm. it's not the same if you go to guadalajara or to go to monterrey or mexico city the, the food is so diverse it's so different mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with one with the other so i think that's how Latinos are, you know, we're so diverse, our accents, our culture, our food, the type of music we do, we listen to, uh, the way we say things, it's very different, it's the same language, but it's, it's just like as if, I don't know, somebody from Texas does not speak the same English as somebody from Ireland, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, that's, it's, it's basically the same. Right. And I'm craving una torta ahogada. Oh my god, yeah. una torta ahogada, there's very famous um, sandwiches, basically. Kind of like mixed between hamburger and a sandwich because they don't have, um, it's not a hamburger, but it's not a sandwich. It's it's a torta. It's a very different it's a torta, thing. Yeah. It's a torta. And they bathe it, basically. They dip it in sauce, salsa. And it's called oh, yeah. the drowned torta. Yes. It's ahogada and it's fascinating. You just made me water oh, my mouth. I grew up watching telenovelas. Like, yes. In fact, like my mom called me novelita because that was that's what I would dedicate my entire afternoon to after that. school. And one of the things I think it's one of my missions as a as one of the only Latino theater journalists in this country. One of my missions is to break down that misconception that every piece of fiction coming from a Latino is a telenovela. Yes. And you're going to see anything in Spanish. Telenovela. Even Almodovar gets called telenovela. Yeah, like, it's not. It's not. No, Even it's, I get it for El Vato, yeah. too. El Vato is a TV series. It's a dramedy, and it's on film. It's shot as a film, and it's beautiful. We just won an Emmy for it. Yeah, like it's it's that good. <laughs> and people are like, oh, the, El Vato is a telenovela, right? I'm like, no, it has nothing to do, nothing against telenovelas. I did them for a living for ten years. You know, I was raised on them. Yeah, I love them, but. They're starting to become old-fashioned, a thing from the past, you know? Um, they're like comic books. Like, not a lot of people read comic books anymore, you know? Telenovelas are starting to become that in a way, because there's ways of, new ways of telling stories. But not everything that comes from Latin America and is on a TV uh, screen is a telenovela. But that's a misconception. Just like people think that anyone that speaks Spanish in this country is Mexican. Mm -hmm. Like, there's yeah. still that misconception every now and then. I was just recently in a show where there's a character from Argentina not speaking like an Argentinian, and he says, ole. That's something that Spaniards from Spain do. So it's just a misconception. Or people think that Antonio Banderas is Mexican. And I go, no, he's from Spain. He's wonderful, but he's from Spain. Very different. Or yeah. where, they, where you see films and... They're supposed to be in Mexico and they play flamenco music and you go, <laughs> no. <laughs> you can tell it's if there was any, yeah. You can tell if there was any Latinos on there and there usually isn't. That's why. Yeah, I just saw a picture the other day on Twitter that of a, of a taco. Mm -hmm. It was like sausages, like hot dogs, and this cheese that's in a bottle that you what's it called? Cheese whiz. Oh my god! <laughs> and um, I saw that and I was like. How would, why would you even think that's a taco? You know, that's like, a fusion. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Mauricio, thank you so much thank for Thank you. Thank you for us. having me. Would you thank like you. to invite our viewers yes. and our listeners uh, please, to come see your show? Please come to 54 Below to my one-man show called The Mexico to Broadway. Uh, the story of my life as told by the music that I've had the honor to sing in musicals from Mexico to Broadway, August 26th, 7 p.m. There's still a few tickets left here at 54below.com. What is Six the Musical and why is everyone going apeshit? Ooh, the very first time <laughs> someone described Six to me, they said it this way. Imagine if Henry VIII's wives, all of his wives that he either divorced or killed, were doing a Spice Girls concert. Yeah. And I was sold. <laughs> As like, <laughs> give it to me. I love, like, I love Wolf Hall. I don't know if you know how much I love, like, historical British, not like Downton Abbey, kind of like nonsensical stuff, but like old ass, like Elizabeth the first, and like even Queen Victoria. Like, like I love period all that. Yeah. dramas with the gowns. Yeah, I love all that Marie stuff. Marie Antoinette? Because they were like, yeah, but I really like British ones. Oh. Because there's okay. like a lot of intrigue and a lot of like, you know, like, can you mm-hmm. imagine having your exes murdered because you're done with them? I mean, yes, you can, but can you imagine actually doing it? No, because I'd get arrested. Yes, you would. If you're king, you don't get arrested. You That's don't. the plus. Yeah, you can arrest the people who arrest people. So, yes, this musical sounds like God's gift to me. It, the thing is, like, someone explained the concept to me. I'm like, this sounds so dumb. And it's like a pop musical. And and yet it's been it's got a sold out run in Chicago. You're seeing it in Boston, and it's gonna get a run on Nor- three Norwegian cruise ships before it opens on Broadway in spring of 2020. Like what? What is what is this? <laughs> what? D- like did I miss something it's here? Justice is what it is. <laughs> it's pop music finally taking over the world. Wait, who are the composers? Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss. Yeah, so apparently composers Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss were in school together. And they're in their very early 20s. And reminding, yeah, reminding us that we've all slacked in our lives. Go them. Yeah. They wrote the musical while, while studying for their final exams at Cambridge. I love them already. Yeah, well, every I have two friends who have seen it, and they've they both told me it's amazing. So maybe I need to just like halt my skepticism a little bit. Yeah, like why are you skeptical? Don't you like because you were like more of a boy band? What if it was like? No, I, Queen, I love a good girl Queen band. Henry and the no, dead it, it's more like it's a cognitive dissonance of. I know I've seen Hamilton. I love Hamilton, but it's a cognitive dissonance of. Henry the Six Wives, historical figures, and pop music. And also just the concept, like, why do we care about these people? I mean, do we care about anyone in musicals? That's true. Yeah. I mean, have you seen... You haven't seen Dogman the Musical, because why would you? No. But in Dogman the Musical, which I think is one of the best musicals running in New York City right now, and I am not being like, this is not a joke, for real, like, go see it. Whether you have kids or not. So anyway, in Dogman the Musical, at one point there's a joke where someone says, 
they make musicals out of anything these days, even the guy on a ten dollar bill, and then work. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I don't think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm saying that a musical about a character called Dogman is good. So, do we really care about caring about people as long as the no, no, product it, is good? No, it's true. It's true. I, I'm always just asking, like, why, why? But I look forward to being wrong about this. Yeah, because I like. I also like the idea of like. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like young love people, queens. You well, love queens. Yeah, I mean, I'm a queen. Uh, we love the idea of. No, we don't love this idea. We cannot forget that people nowadays don't give a fuck about history. Like they don't. Like mm-hmm. I mean, like America, for instance, is one of the most probably has one of the worst education systems when it comes to history. Like people don't know anything about yes. their history, world history. And because people don't know history, we end up with Hitler the second in the white house. Right. So I do love the idea that this young people who are the kind of people that I would say, they probably don't care about history, right? Care about history so much that they're finding a way to introduce history and misogyny and the things that men get away with through pop music and through mm-hmm. a musical like can you imagine if a better way to teach history to teenagers for instance than through a pop musical yeah that's true i mean entertainment is mainly how people learn about different cultures different time periods it's like entertainment is the modern education system so I understand that. And, and I'm also really intrigued by the um, the strategy of putting the show on a cruise ship before it goes to Broadway. Because usually you wait until a show opens on Broadway, you know, gets the raves and gets the word of mouth and then and have the national audience. And then you put it on a cruise ship. I think they're just saying like Hannah Gatsby, fuck Aristotle. OK, I say that. You know, like, why? I don't think Hannah said that. Yeah. Yeah. She should, though. I mean, I'm sure she would agree with me. I Mm -hmm. hope she would. But, you know, like, it's so so exciting, though, because they're they're saying we don't care. You know, like, Mm -hmm. Broadway is not our holy grail. Like, if we go to Broadway, hooray. But it's not going to be, like, we're not going to stop our work and our plans because Broadway is coming, right? Yeah. Well, it shows, like, I don't know who the producing team is, but it shows, like, a lot of faith in the musical and, and it finding wide appeal. Because it's only played in Chicago so far, and all the people I know in Chicago are like, it's amazing. So It's so exciting. I know. I can't wait for it. <laughs> I'm going in September. I kind of want to go on the cruise ship, and I never want to go on a cruise ship. You're just going to go on a cruise ship for a show. Go to Boston or go and, see and, it. And, and, and no, and get drunk. Oh. You know, make a vacation out of it okay. and see a show. I wonder if you go on a cruise ship and... If they do six every night while you're there, if you can go see it every night. I think so. Okay, we're going on a cruise ship then. (laughs) (laughs) Where does a Norwegian thing go? To Norway? (laughs) No, the Norwegian cruise line thing, it goes up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, Oh, okay. I thought we had to go to Norway. No, no. It docks Hmm. in Chelsea. In Chelsea? Yeah. Where all the queens are. Yeah. That sounds so fabulous. Yeah. Well, I'm already okay, saying. We're going like, okay, we're going on a cruise ship. Yeah. Token theater friends. We can take it from Chelsea to like DC. I think I think it was down in Florida. Oh god, that's a like scary place though. 
I know, but you gotta stay. You can't. You gotta stay on the boat for the entire time. Okay, I don't have to leave the boat. I don't have you to don't go have to, to like Tampa. The, you don't have to leave the boat. Okay, no Tampa and like no Orlando. No, if you don't ha- want to leave the boat, you can just stay on the boat. Okay, okay, I'm gonna stay with the queens of six. <laughs> I think it's also one of those things where. It's seventy five minutes. It's it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, lot of like pyrotechnics or sets or anything like that. So it must be like a really relatively cheap show to produce mm. too. I wonder who so, they're gonna cast on Broadway. I have no idea. Well, because it'd be like three different companies on at the same time, right? Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, because there's gonna be a Chicago run at the same time as a Broadway run. Who run the world? Girls, queens. <laughs> Queens who get their head chopped off, which is another reason why I'm just like, how are you going to empower these women? Okay, I'm, I'm intrigued. It's also so exciting because it was like a multicultural cast. They didn't just mm-hmm. get like a bunch of, um, you know, white middle-aged ladies who played no. them. It's like girls. Yeah. It's kind of like those like Descendants movies from Disney. Oh my God. There's going to be a, an Australian production too at Ooh. the same time as a Broadway production. Who is producing this? It's probably someone who loves the gays I am like, and the I, girls. I am, I am so... I, 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 I gotta look this up, because I don't... Producer Kenny Wax, Wendy and Andy Barnes, George Style, and Kevin McCollum. I know Kevin McCollum. Well, I love whoever these people are. I love all of them. I also wonder, like, at the LDVA Awards, where, where it, uh, it was competing for Best Musical and it lost. I think it lost to Come From Away, didn't it? Uh, I don't know. You gotta look that up. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. I mean, I'm not. A, I'm not that expert on British theater, but um. Oh, yep. and of course. It, it yeah yeah. Come from away one last year, and Fun Home and Six were nominated, and Tina also, which is coming to Broadway soon, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, and uh, and Six is still running on the West End. Yay! I haven't. I how how how. Because there is a god and he loves the queens. Like, or maybe it's it's a, it's a new this. If if it's successful on Broadway, it's like a new model of producing. Whether where you open it everywhere else in the country first and then put it on Broadway. I don't know. I like to think. You know, that's something else that I that I like to think. Who cares? Like, who cares about Broadway? Like, I would love if a musical was popular all over the world and it never ran on Broadway and people would still... Cause Broadway is one of those other things like catharsis and Greek stuff that we're like, who cares? Why is that the goal? People want their Tonys. Eh, I don't who, care either. Yeah. Ca- eh, eh. yeah, because Broadway is not... Broadway isn't about the quality of the work. It's about if you can get the money to produce a New York run and get a house. Like, if eh. you have millions of dollars to blow, then you'll... You, a week, then you can get on Broadway. Yeah. Because that's usually how much it costs to produce a show on Broadway every week. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I but mean, there's... Yeah, there's... Though I feel like you would, you as Jose would want shows to go go out on Broadway or at least to New York so that you can actually see them. So oh, you New have York, to travel sure. Over, yeah, so you don't have to yeah. travel to Boston to see a show. I mean, it's not that far. Yay for not caring about New York. And I'm... And Jose and I are probably going to go to six... The cruise ship experience. <laughs> Oh my god! Do you, do you think? Because you know, Backstreet Boys also did a cruise, and you can take photos with the Backstreet Boys while on the cruise. You think it'll be like that? I thought you were gonna say, "What if the cruise ship that the Backstreet Boys are on and the six cruise ship just like collided, <laughs> and then they would all have to get together to save all the queens and all the Backstreet Boys, save all the passengers? It'd be like Happy Titanic with music." 
And I think we found we found the idea for the music for a musical. If you ever want to write the book to it, I'm, I'm on composers, it. Composers, call us. We I'm have ideas. On it. <laughs> All right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. And please leave us a review so we can know what you think of the show. And so it helps people find us. If you want to see Mauricio's face, because he is very good looking, we have the interview up on YouTube. And do you have anything else you want to say to the people, Jose? Viva Mexico. All right. And remember, theater is more fun when you take a friend. Bye. Bye.